The problem is once you understand how everything works, you understand how fragile everything is and how easy it is to lose this all. I wish I didn't know how everything works. I wish I knew less. From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. In Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle on KODX, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR and Minneapolis, St. Paul on AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast to coast and around the globe every day, even during pandemics, on the Internet, on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk Blanketing, Planet Earth, Five days a week, radio to quarantine by. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me from bradblog.com, with a special edition of the Bradcast today. In HBO's explosive 2006 documentary, Hacking Democracy, which was nominated for an Emmy for Outstanding Investigative Journalism, filmmakers Simon Artizoni and Russell Michaels tracked our friend Bev Harris of Black Box Voting as she probed the many cyber vulnerabilities of America's electronic voting and tabulation systems. That was well over a decade ago. That film culminated in a breathtaking hack seen live on camera during the film of a Diebold paper ballot optical scan tabulator system, which legendary Finnish cybersecurity expert Hari Hursti, another longtime friend of the Brad blog, was able to manipulate during a mock election where, as seen on camera, eight ballots Eight ballots were cast on hand-marked paper ballots with one simple question. Can a Diebold optical scan tabulator be hacked? Six of those present voted no. Two voted yes. Everyone there, of course, knew what the results of this mini-election should be. But when the hand-marked paper ballots were then run through the optical scanner, at the Leon County, Florida Supervisor of Elections office, under the supervision of the county's longtime elections chief, Ion Sancho, another frequent guest on this program, something remarkable happened when the computer reported the results. The election result should have been reported by the computer scanner as six no, two yes. 
But those results were completely flipped to one no and seven yes. And the only way anyone would have known any better, would have known that those results were wrong, would have been to hand count the hand marked paper ballots. As Sancho notes at the climactic moment of this film after the results revealed and as longtime election integrity advocates who participated in the mock mock election were all watching after having been disparaged by the private voting system companies and elections officials and many in the media for years as they all looked on in emotional astonishment at what they had warned about but had just now seen for the very first time before their eyes. If I had not seen what was behind this, um, I'd have no reason not to. I would have certified this election as a true and accurate result of a vote. What does this mean to you? It makes me cry. I'm sorry, but it does. Why? There's so many reasons. The reason's because there are people out there who are giving their lives to, sh to try to make our elections secure. And they're being called conspiracy theorists and technophobes. And these vendors are lying and saying that everything's all right and it's not all right. And I'm crying because this is no our country's one country pretending to be another country. How can this be happening to our elections? I don't know exactly how to describe what what I saw here. Um, I think we, as election officials, need to be a little bit more demanding from the vendors as to the technical specifications of this equipment. The vendors are driving the process of voting technology in the United States. I would much rather at this point, I think, focus on allowing citizens to select technology that satisfies their needs. That was Ion Sancho uh, speaking in Hacking Democracy from 2006. 14 years later, the filmmakers of Hacking Democracy, joined this time by Sarah Teal, have now produced a follow-up documentary released just last week by HBO, which has, I believe, uh, now agreed to make the film available to all for free amidst the coronavirus pandemic that is shaking up the very core of our electoral system. I believe you can watch uh, the new film on HBO's YouTube channel. That as the virus strikes amid the presidential primary cycle in advance of our critical November 3rd presidential election. The new film is called Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's elections. It comes on the heels of the 2016 presidential election in which astounding but never fully verified results tabulated on machines not just like the ones seen hacked in Hacking Democracy, but in many of the exact same machines that are still in use around the country today, despite the vulnerabilities exposed by the 2006 film. As you'll recall, in 2016, Donald Trump stunned the world when he was declared the winner of the presidency of the United States, largely based on just three states, Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania, which... All three flipped from blue to red for the first time in decades 
by a razor-thin margin of about 80,000 votes overall in the three states out of millions of votes cast there. As we have pointed out on this show ever since, nobody has bothered to hand count all of the hand-marked paper ballots cast in each of those three states to assure that the results were actually accurate. And despite the U.S. intelligence community's assessment, confirmed by a bipartisan U.S. Senate Intelligence Committee report that Russia attempted to access voting systems in all 50 states, despite that, the U.S. Department of Homeland Security has confirmed that they never bothered to forensically examine the voting systems in those three states to assure that they were not manipulated either by outside foreign actors or, much more easily, by domestic bad actors. Well, Kill Chain picks up the investigation, this time by focusing on Harry Hursty, the man behind the hack of the Diebold system seen in Hacking Democracy, and his years-long effort to expose still more such vulnerabilities in the systems still in use across all 50 states, despite claims by vendors and officials that many of them have been upgraded to more secure systems over the past decade. The film's findings, however, suggest otherwise and are often as chilling as those exposed in the earlier film, as foretold in the first few minutes of Kill Chain before the opening titles by Hursty and others, including a foreign hacker who claims that he got access to one state's entire 2016 election system from overseas. Voting is about our capability to change the way the government works by changing the people who make the decisions and have a peaceful transfer of power when the people have made that choice. If you don't have that, then the alternatives are revolutions. The problem is once you understand how everything works, you understand how fragile everything is and how easy it is to lose this all. Do you have any doubt that Russia attempted to interfere in the 2016 elections? None. In 2016, we know that Russian actors targeted state election systems. Has the department conducted any kind of post-election forensics on the voting machines that were used in 2016? Our department has not conducted forensics on specific voting machines. I think it had no bearing on the election. We have no evidence that votes were changed. No actual votes were changed. I mean, literally, I could have made any changes in the system. I could delete the candidate. I could alter any data, any vote. I keep hearing that the system is unhackable. This is wrong. Everything is hackable. Always. These are just computers. We call them voting machines. But they're nothing more than obsolete computers. Wow. Yes. Casper, do we want it's not just about hardware, it's the hardware of our democracy. Thank you for voting. When people say no votes were changed, it misses the point. What matters is that you create chaos in the election system. We tend to see these events as random and disconnected. But in fact, there's a pattern you can see. In cyber warfare, it's called a kill chain. We may be buying the world's best 20th century military when the battlefront in the 21st century is election security, cybersecurity. 
In order for us to find a way forward, we have to understand how broken the system is and what are the fundamental problems we are facing. This shouldn't be a partisan issue. This is our common problem, owned by everyone living in the United States. And we have to solve it in order to preserve our way of life, our society, the rule of law, and our right to self-government. That from the opening of HBO's brand new documentary, Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's elections. It gets chillier still from there. Joining us now to discuss the film and what it may portend for the 2020 election, particularly amid a global pandemic, which is upending the way U.S. elections will be run this year as we inch ever closer to the critical November presidential elections, are two of the film's three directors, Russell Michaels and Simon Artizoni, both of whom join us from somewhere in or near London, I believe, where they are sort of stuck for a while amid the coronavirus crisis. Russ Michaels and Simon Artizoni, welcome to both of you to the broadcast, and thanks for staying up late out there for us today. Hello, pleasure to be with you. Simon, let me start with you. I know that you guys have been hoping to uh, make a follow-up to this uh, to your 2006 uh, Emmy-nominated Hacking Democracy for many years, and I've spoken with both you and Russ throughout those years about what has gone on in our election system since then. Uh, in many ways, it seems to be getting worse, not better since then. So here we are 14 years later, Simon. Wow, we're all old. Uh, but uh, you finally got a follow-up. What took you so long, Simon? Uh, well, it took a long time to, uh, to to actually make a film like this, Brad. I mean, mm -hmm. really, we're looking at a total uh, turnaround from initial thoughts uh, to final film of over three years. Mm -hmm. And uh, we actually, in a way, didn't want to make it. Uh, the reason why we made it was because we noticed a really sudden uptick mm -hmm. in the number of people who are watching Hacking Democracy online. Really? And a lot of our contacts started to get back in touch with us and say, do you know that even though you made that film, the, the problems are still there, and they're kind of worse now. Mm -hmm. And this was before the elections in November 2016. It was kind of July, August. Mm. So we, we were on alert the whole DNC hacking um, happened, mm -hmm. and then as more and more um, uh, more and more reports came out mm -hmm. of uh, threat actors attacking American election infrastructure. So that uptick, um, uh, that uptick in people viewing uh, hacking democracy was actually before the 2016 election. Oh, absolutely. So uh, we had quarter of a million views on our YouTube channel with, with no promotion. Mm -hmm. But then Russ was contacted by a mutual friend who found that one Facebook group had ripped the hack of Hacking Democracy, posted it, and it got nine million views. Yep. Yeah, I know. Uh, and of course, uh, some of that might be my fault as well, because I have uh, linked to it many times over the years, particularly since those very same systems that we saw being hacked and actually flipping an election 
are still being used around the country, not just in 2016, but I believe in 2020 as well. Russ, first, I want to thank you for uh, playing that clip in the opening few minutes there that I shared from, I think it was 2017, uh, right in the opening uh, with Oregon Senator Ron Wyden asking the senior DHS cybersecurity official in charge of critical election infrastructure at the time. That would be Jeanette Manfra. Uh, She has, by the way, just left DHS, I believe, at the beginning of the year. Uh, asking whether anybody at DHS ever actually examined any of the machines from the 2016 election to see if they had been uh, manipulated in some way. And she says, no, I've played that clip countless times from that Senate hearing over the years because it is just maddening. Were you able to learn why nobody at DHS ever did that, ever bothered to look at the machines, particularly given all the claims about Russia attempting to manipulate the 2016 elections? We didn't. It was one of the most surprising initial um, discoveries that, we, I had assumed that behind the scenes there was investigation going on at some mm-hmm. level that we weren't allowed to know about. So to see that testimony, you know, on television was was actually astounding, because it can't be that difficult mm-hmm. to launch an investigation when you have a situation that you admit publicly is a cyber war mm-hmm. in your presidential election. Um, my guess is that they didn't want to get involved with challenging the states individually um and i believe to this day no individual voting machines have been you know subpoenaed sequestered and uh, cyber investigated by the department of homeland security not that i know of which yes is just amazing and maddening and one of the reasons why i keep playing that over and over again with all of the claims about uh you know what may have happened in 2016 you would think they would want to investigate and find out if something actually did happen and uh while you all justifiably warn Russ about the threat to upcoming elections in the film before we get to the next election uh after working on this film for several years do you have any confidence that the results from the 2016 election were not manipulated in some fashion, either by hackers or, or insiders, either foreign or domestic? I'd say that I've come to the conclusion that it is impossible to come to the conclusion that it wasn't tried. Mm-hmm. I think because ordinary hackers have succeeded at DEF CON, the, the hackers conference in Las Vegas, mm-hmm. which we filmed part of, and that's in Kill Chain, mm-hmm. um, the fact that it seems to be that the incompetence and the profit chasing in the industry has resulted in systems which are severely compromised on a security level. And so the idea that a nation state, whether it be Russia or any other, has not put resources into trying to find, can we do it? Can we change a vote? Would we go any further than that? The idea that they wouldn't have tried is simply unbelievable to me. One of the Many stories that you tell uh, in Kill Chain regards the Department of Homeland Security whistleblower named Reality Winner, who, after the 2016 election, had exposed a document revealing that, in fact, one of the key voter registration system vendors used across the key swing state of Florida and in several other states, like the closely divided battleground of North Carolina, in 2016 was, in fact, that company, VR Systems, was, in fact, infiltrated 
by a spear phishing email scheme that allowed foreign hackers uh, some sort of access to uh, at least the uh, voter registration system, the electronic poll books that are used in both states. Here is Ion Sancho, uh, once again, a central figure f- from your 2006 film, discussing the disturbing top secret communique that Florida election uh, officials uh, received about this before the 2016 election. On September 30th of 2016, we get this cryptic email from the Secretary of State of Florida's office saying all supervisor of elections must be on this conference call at such and such a time. This is secure. You will be there and you will not mention this call to anybody. Mm-hmm. We gathered our staff, put it on a speakerphone, and what it was was the FBI was telling Florida election officials that a foreign power had penetrated a vendor which does work in Florida. Mm-hmm. It it didn't take us long to figure out that they were talking about the GRU, i.e. Russia's military intelligence service. And the vendor was a Tallahassee vendor, VR, Mm -hmm. which did all the programming for a majority of the counties in the state of Florida. They do the absentee ballots. They do the early voting operation. Um, this, This company if it had been hacked, it had the potential to really impact on Florida elections. That's uh, now former Leon County election official Ion Sancho speaking in HBO's Kill Chain. And by the way, I stand corrected. That was right after the uh, 2016 election in December that Florida officials were contacted. And I've asked Ion about that. He says he still does not know to this date which counties in Florida were actually affected. Uh, In any event, that would seem to confirm uh, once again that Reality Winner was in fact exposing accurate and important information, which he is now nonetheless serving five years in federal prison for sharing with journalists. Uh, Simon Artizoni, did you guys uh, attempt to speak with her for, uh, for this film? Uh, we did. At the time, um, she was in real lockdown uh, in a uh, facility mm-hmm. uh, just outside Atlanta, I think. And she, um, we contacted the family, and they, they, you know, they agreed to put some some resources resources our way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think that anyone can speak to reality at the moment. I, the, the, the way that the government has treated her has. It prevented her story from being told is is outrageous. It it is, and uh, the the fact that we can't know her story, the fact that elections officials in Florida are being sworn to secrecy, election officials who you know work for the public uh, on theoretically public elections, you know I've asked Ion uh, about that myself about the secrecy that Florida now requires for its officials. Uh, about this stuff. But uh, frankly, I don't think it's only Florida anymore. I think it's all 50 states. Simon, does so-called security by obscurity work when it comes to protecting our American elections? Well, no, not at all. And and for several reasons. But the biggest reason why security through obscurity doesn't work, um, or indeed security through legislation, Mm -hmm. is that you can make law-abiding citizens and officials obey the law, but you can't make the criminals obey the law. That's why they're criminal. 
And so you have a bunch of hackers and criminals and state uh, actors probing uh, election systems and other forms of infrastructure in the USA. And yet, bona fide security researchers are not able to look and see what the vulnerabilities that these guys, these bad guys, might be uncovering. And it's a terrible state of affairs. Yeah, it it is. And I can tell you firsthand it is. Uh, There is a great section of the film... Uh, and I put great in quotes here, uh, sort of, where, the, where the, the heads of the U.S. Elections Assistance Commission, the EAC, really the, the one body that for many years is supposed to be, to some extent, overseeing the electronic voting systems in this country, uh, where the, the, the head, uh, Tom Hicks, is talking about how impossible it would be to, to, to hack our U.S. voting systems and our tabulation systems. And I think that was before 2016, uh, before you then reveal in Kill Chain that the EAC itself was actually hacked before the 2016 election with access to their system actually being sold or offered for sale on the open market. Uh, Russ Michaels, do do you know if there were any takers uh, in in that uh, sale offer? We only know that we were told there was uh, an Iranian person or entity who was a solid buyer, the person who was eliciting that information from the hacker uh, was contacting the FBI trying to get Mm -hmm. the officials to to descend and stop this. So we don't know if a sale went through. Simon, I I think I'm correct in that, aren't you? Uh, Is that what you know? Um, We don't know if the sale went through or not. I mean, I think that what would definitely have happened is that the hacker, who was codenamed Rasputin, Mm -hmm. would have copied every single file that they could and would then subsequently sell those files, which included uh, some of the source code for voting machines. Mm -hmm. Um, They would have have kept that, um, uh, and it will be out there, ready to sell, ready to use at any given juncture that somebody decides in the future. And uh, and this is information, and again, uh, a problem with security through obscurity. The fact that uh, the EAC thinks they can keep some sort of secret database, I guess, on the various flaws that are discovered in the, uh, America's voting systems. But then the database in which they keep those secret flaws is itself hacked. Just, uh, you know, and and yet we continue on with this uh, charade of, uh, well, let's just keep it all secret and and hope for the best. There's another favorite section of mine uh, in in the film, and you referenced it, I believe, Russ, uh, the now infamous DEFCON Voter Village that uh, Hari Hursty has helped organize over the past two or three years at the annual hacker convention in Las Vegas. You guys show one of the hackers there. Figuring out, he basically brings a whole bunch of voting systems and uh, uh, voter registration, electronic poll books and so forth, uh, tabulators that are currently in use in elections around the country and lets the hackers just sort of have at it and see what they can find. Well, there was one hacker uh, figuring out how to shut down using one machine to shut down another machine, a voting machine in the room that other hackers 
were working on themselves and they had no idea why their machine suddenly shut down. It was because another hacker in the room had shut them down. He said hacker uh, could do that from the parking lot outside of a voting precinct. Of course, we've had reports all over the country for years of uh, voting systems crashing uh, you know, on Election Day. One of the organizers of DEF CON uh, says in the film that they invited the voting machine companies to come to DEF CON. But even though those companies claim their systems are secure, they did not want to come for some reason, or at least did not want to announce that they were there. Russ, did you guys invite the, uh, the voting machine vendors to respond in your film? We did. We asked all three of the major vendors, and uh, they refused, all refused us interviews. We even sent some questions, and we didn't get answers. So it's it's, we went into this expecting there would be difficulties, but mm-hmm. really we found even more of a labyrinth that is closed down and full of secrets. Mm-hmm. Um, it was, the, the industry was dominated by four companies, I think it was, when we started the original film. Mm-hmm. It's now only three, but because of that, there's in some ways even more of a lockdown on the secrecy and the information. Mm-hmm. The biggest being election systems and software, which is ES&S and mm-hmm. Estimated, I think by their own estimation, they count about 61% of America's elections mm-hmm. or votes. That's an extraordinary responsibility of, uh, to, to every voter and the entire country. I would say there's, there's, there's other things we've learned. Like you, you touched on that machine in, in DEF CON. That was hacked via a wireless signal. Now, that's an older machine, mm-hmm. and many in use still are older machines. But the newer things that are going on involve wireless technology. So the voting machines in the the precincts, at the end of the day when people have voted, mm-hmm. many of them now are sending the, the votes by essentially by a cellular phone call right. to the head office, to the elections department, where you know, via a modem. That the scientists are screaming out saying, This is completely insecure. You must stop doing it. Uh, as far as I'm aware, no one is going to stop doing it in 2020. It's still going full steam ahead. Well, since when do American officials listen to scientists screaming anything? Uh, we are speaking with Simon Artizoni and Russ Michaels, two of the three filmmakers with Sarah Teal of the chilling new HBO documentary Kill Chain, the cyber war on American elections. I need to take a quick break here, and we will come back with more uh, with the two filmmakers on this much wa- must-watched uh, film, which is now free for all via HBO's YouTube channel, at least for the next month or so, I believe through May 25th, if I have it correct. And uh, I want to talk more about the uh, notion of what uh, officials say, including Democrats, uh, before the 2016 election, that there was, you know, no reason at all to worry because our elections cannot be hacked because they are never connected to the Internet. I'm sure you've heard that time and time again. Uh, So you conspiracy theorists out there should just knock it off. You're just scaring voters into not voting. I want to talk to them about that. Also, the somewhat terrifying interview seen in the film with a foreign hacker who says that not only was he able to access one state's U.S. voting system, he was able to take complete control of it prior to the 2016 election. That and more up next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. What the 
public hears on the public airwaves matters. At the Bradcast, we do our best to bring you accurate news and analysis on the issues that actually matter, and we do it all independently without corporate or political influence. But we can't do it without you, now more than ever. Please help us stay on your public airwaves by going to bradblog.com donate to help keep us going. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. From what we've determined, no uh, voting machines are connected to the Internet. Voting machines themselves are not connected to the Internet. They are non-network pieces of hardware that do not connect to the Internet. The devices are not connected to the Internet. Those things are not connected to the Internet. Not connected to the Internet and therefore cannot be attacked. None of them are connected to the Internet. And so there will not be any sort of Internet hack or in- Internet incidents. Every single system we have, there is a place where it touches internet. There's nothing anymore in our world, really, which doesn't touch internet one way or another. It might be indirect, it might be infrequent, but it's always there. Yeah. Welcome back. Chain of Fools. This is Brad this is Brad Friedman. You're listening to the Bradcast. And uh, that was uh, Finnish cybersecurity and voting systems legend Harry Hursty responding to the nonsense that our voting systems are not connected to the Internet. They're never connected. You heard it over and over again, even from uh, then FBI director Jim, Jim Comey. And therefore, they are not hackable, all of which is simply nonsense. As we continue our conversation now with Simon Artizoni and Russell Michaels, both uh, in the UK, two of the filmmakers of the new HBO documentary Kill Chain, The Cyber War on America's Election, which you can find on uh, HBO now for free on their YouTube channel. It just premiered last week. It is a follow up to their landmark Emmy nominated 2006 documentary Hacking Democracy. So, Simon what is a kill chain and how does it apply to what you uh, have learned about an attack on our elections? A kill chain is, uh, I guess it's a a mental model that uh, people who are in the business of attacking or defending use to analyze attacks. And the idea is is that you have a simple step, a series of steps, Mm -hmm. and you have to have gone through those steps in order to craft an effective attack. You start off by deciding what your targets are. You decide then what your weapons should be, how you're going to deploy them, and you go through to uh, paralyzing your enemy prior to an attack, and and you finally attack and hopefully kill your enemy, as Mm -hmm. it were. Um, and it's it's applied in all sorts of ways to all sorts of different types of attacks. Um, and the reason why we ended up using it uh, in, in our film, Brad, is because we kept on seeing sort of strange little things popping up. It's very difficult to make a film about something that's covert, but is protected by copyright law and election law and all sorts of things where nobody will talk to you, mm. uh, where people are frequently afraid, and where the whole thing is frankly shrouded in secrecy. And so we kept on seeing these little things popping up. You know, there would be the meltdown of the elections in um, in Raleigh in, in North Carolina. 
uh, in Durham County. Mm-hmm. Uh, we would see this kind of recount in uh, Wisconsin that took place, or a, 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 an analysis of ballots going on, um, where they found that voting machines had switched the results mm-hmm. um, and mistabulated uh, election results in the 2016 elections. Mm-hmm. Um, or you would see uh, hackers trying to access from abroad, and and we couldn't really try and craft it into a kind of a story, really, until you realize that what you're seeing is, evident, is, is, is evidence of really malicious intent towards America's elections. And Russell mentioned earlier that there was no way of, that, that he could really say to, say to himself that, you know, we cannot say America's elections haven't been hacked. I would say that there's ample evidence of real malicious intent Mm -hmm. uh, on America's election system. Yeah. And that that intent is not so much to change the results. Mm -hmm. It's not so much to, um, you know, even to cause chaos at the polls. It is to slowly erode the trust that Americans have in their own democracy. Mm. And there, and, and just to be uh, clear here, uh, because I got, I get the sense that uh, you both suggest that well, there may have been manipulation in, in past elections, but almost that something is being set up uh, for the next election. And we'll get to the uh, to to your uh, pretty creepy uh, hacker interview in in a moment here. But uh, just to put this idea to bed, uh, after all of those claims that our voting systems are never connected to the internet Uh, a lot of them came before you know 2016 even by the president of the united states at the time barack obama i think was making that claim Uh, uh, simon what do actual cyber experts tell you about that and uh, the connection of these systems to the uh, to the internet actual cyber experts are terrified because what they see is not just a system that is um, riddled with security flaws and, mm-hmm. and security holes. But they also see a system, a political system, an administrative system that is just in denial. And it's in denial and it's in ignorance. I think, I think Thomas Hicks didn't know that voting machines connected to the Internet when he told Congress back in 2016 and, they and, didn't. and he's the Thomas Hicks is the head of the US Elections Assistance Commission responsible with overseeing the uh, voting systems across the country just want to clarify the guy who you said uh, may have honestly not understood that these machines are in fact connected in various ways to the internet exactly <laughs> that's uh Simon, uh, you also uh, mentioned these these little dots, these, these sort of points of interest, and we see them, uh, some of them throughout the film. Uh, Russ, there was this uh, scene in the film, there is this scene in Kill Chain, from the, uh, the 2018 election in Georgia between uh, then-Secretary of State Brian Kemp, the Republican, against the Democrat uh, Stacey Abrams, which Kemp ended up winning by uh, just over 1% of the vote. There was a lot of voter suppression, but across the entire state, of course, Georgia uses 100% unverifiable touchscreens. They used them then. They still use them now. You guys, your crew, 
was somehow at a precinct in uh, Gwinnett County, Georgia, during the 2018 election. That's the second most Democratic-leaning county in the state when it seemed that all of the voter access cards, the cards used to fire up the touchscreen voting systems, when they all failed. And it ended up resulting in lines that were just a mile long. And... You guys happen to be there, along with Harry Hursty, along with Marilyn Marks, great election integrity advocate who's been on this show, Rich DeMillo, great yep. computer scientist who's been on this show, Logan Lamb, uh, one of the whistleblowers there. Uh, a, quite a coincidence that you people were all there when this happened. And B, why did you choose that precinct? Was it was it luck uh, that, that that happened when you guys just happened to be there in 2018? Um, it, we were following the election integrity ad- advocates, so it, it was it was a centre for their investigations. Mm-hmm. But it also happened to be uh, somewhere where the voting wasn't going well, and the the Secretary of State were, they were struggling to get the Secretary of State to give them just an extra half hour to vote. Mm-hmm. And yes, yet it was the Secretary of State's office that had programmed or sent the actual cards which, which were failing. Mm-hmm. So in some ways, it was a it's a coincidence that we happen to be in the right place at the right time. But it also makes you wonder how many other precincts mm-hmm. were their problems because they can be they can be solved in a little while, but you've still lost voters. People who can't get you know, take time off work and they have to just leave. So the the pattern is also a worry, and uh, that Georgia particularly. Yeah, in particular, where uh, the Georgia Secretary of State was on the ballot to become governor, and he was the one who program these apparently faulty cards. Just a coincidence. Uh, And in Gwinnett County, by the way, officials, uh, they also declined to answer your questions about what happened, even though it was already a a year and a half, two years ago now. Did uh, why did they give any reason why they would not talk to you? This was, after all, a completed election at this point to explain what might have gone wrong. Well, there was a claim that there were um, legal legal proceedings, but Simon, what do you, what do you think about a, a public election that has serious problems and the officials then hide behind that? I mean, this has been a real pattern, Brad, uh, that any time we ask questions that get even close to uh, getting answers mm-hmm. to specific questions, uh, election officials clam up. Mm. And this has happened over and over again, and uh, I'm sure you'll be coming on to Alaska, but exactly the same thing happened in Alaska as well. Yeah, well, that uh, is a perfect segue here, and since you uh, gave away the state, I wasn't going to name it, but near the end of your film, uh, you do speak with a hacker who claims to have taken complete control of the entire election apparatus in the state, Uh, from its uh, voter registration rolls to its election results in 2016. Now, his face, this this hacker, his face is disguised, uh, and he goes by the name CyberZeist online and in your film. And I I don't want to give too much away here, but here was part of his comments in uh, HBO's Kill Chain about the state that he was able to access. I could have made any changes in the system. I mean, the changes like deleting the candidate i could kick anyone out i could alter any data any vote it was such a rush that at that particular moment i felt like i was the god at that time pretty chilling uh simon uh first uh, how did you uh, find this guy and how how did you convince him to speak to you i, I think 
think Russ is the best person to ask that question. He was the one who first reached out to him. All right, Russ, I know you've been hanging out yeah. in the dark corners of the Internet. Uh, how, how did you find uh, Cyberzeist? Uh, cyber well, um, I, the press hadn't picked up on the fact that he had penetrated Alaska's um, through their website. Mm -hmm. He managed to get into the vote tabulating system. So he'd, he'd made this jump, but that hadn't been picked up. He just tweeted that he had access and he was waiting for people to vote. Now, his, his Twitter account had closed down for whatever reasons, and I just saw a fuzzy image of this and a small report on an Australian, little Australian cyber website. So I tried to find out more by contacting that journalist mm -hmm. who passed my email address on to Cyberzeist, and Cyberzeist contacted me. So it turned out he is a fan of Hacking Democracy <laughs> and Harry Hursty. Okay. Um, and he, he wanted me to prove that I was the real Russell Michaels. Right. And when I could do that, he agreed to speak to me. <laughs> so we talked for about six months as I learned more and more about what he'd done. Right. How in some ways, I, do, I don't know how he did it exactly. I didn't find out anything that was, you know, going to make it um, clearer than his claim. Um, but he is an extraordinary interviewee, an extraordinary whistleblower. Mm -hmm. um, and what he represents, I think, is one of the most serious threats to America's elections because we don't know how many cyberized hackers there are out there under different handles and names. Mm -hmm. But what he, what he is, is, is somebody who says, I've got into the center of the system and the authorities don't know I'm there. And I can change anything, and I can come out, and I can come back in again, and I can wait for the right time to change the votes. Now, that, that's one guy who we, we, we don't know enough about him, but we don't think he's connected to a nation state. But imagine if a nation state succeeded in doing that, put mm -hmm. the resources into doing exactly that, and is waiting inside the back-end systems for these 2020 elections to start and and start counting votes. And that was one of the reasons why I, uh, A, was, was chilled by what this cyberzeist has to say, whether we can believe him or not. Do you believe his claims, by the way, uh, Russ, that he was able to get into the Alaska system? I did some checks on what he did. Um, over a series of months, um, he gave away a few extra things, you know, without putting emphasis on them. One was that he said, well, when I was in, the, it's the GEMS tabulation system, which, by the way, is in, still in quite a few states, maybe mm -hmm. 15 to 18 states. Despite being he hacked he, in your first movie. Okay, go ahead. Yes, yes, interesting coincidence. Yeah, that one. 16 years um, ago. Go ahead. <laughs> he said that he saw the candidates were represented only by numerical IDs, mm -hmm. not their English names, you right. know, like Brad Friedman. Right. You'd be number 58 mm -hmm. instead. Well... I know somebody who has the GEMS program, which was leaked many years ago, and I said, can you make me screenshots of everywhere that the candidates show up? And sure enough, the deep in the middle of the system um, screenshots, the last two with the candidate counters, that's where the candidates show up, only as numerical IDs. Mm -hmm. So there were some other checks I did, but they convinced me that he was um, very credible. And again, he was not a member of a nation state, as far as we know. He was just some guy, uh, basically, in a foreign country. Uh, and he claims in the film that uh, an unnamed Russian group made it known that they were willing to pay for access. Then he says he could have made millions of dollars selling the 
back door to uh, an entire state's election. I will uh, let people watch the movie to find out uh, what he says about that so as to not give too much away. But have have you been uh, contacted, uh, and I, I got just another minute or so here, but uh, have you been contacted by the U.S. authorities since the film premiered last week to get information on this guy, or, or do you expect to be contacted by them? Simon, take your No, pick. we haven't. We haven't. Hmm. And because he, he, he makes some pretty startling claims, and uh, I don't know if you guys would uh, be willing to give him up as journalists, but I'm surprised, frankly, that uh, nobody has even tried to, uh, to reach out to you for uh, information on this guy. That's kind of troubling on its own. Before we get out here, uh, with the uh, coronavirus now, uh, the pandemic underway, officials in all 50 states are scrambling to figure out how the hell we're going to hold our elections, with more than 20 states, by the way, still needing to hold their primary elections after postponing them optimistically until June or so. And this November, in all 50 states, we're going to have to figure out how to do this uh, let me get quick thoughts from both of you on this. I'll start with the Simon. Are uh, are the vote by mail solutions that are now being discussed? Is that something that would make our elections any safer as you see it? Since every voter would then be at least using a hand marked paper ballot. Well, I think that's certainly what a lot of um, election activists are pointing to. Um, I think there are two problems with it, Brad. The first is is that y- you you can't guarantee that voters are not being pressurized to vote one way or the other um, you know, if, if, if they're not in a, in a polling precinct. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a consideration that it just isn't taken into account by a lot of people. Um, but the other thing that really worries me is that these mail-in ballots, there are millions of them, mm-hmm. and they require special technology. You essentially need very high-speed scanners that will deal with them. And so typically, counties will have, you know, maybe three or four of these all in a single room. And so now, you've suddenly hugely reduced the number of machines that hackers have to find Mm. um, and hack Mm. to affect very, very large numbers of votes. And unless you say, we are going to move to hand-marked paper ballots, and then we are going to perform a risk-limiting audit, we're going to check the results that the computers come up with by hand, unless you have that check and balance in place, uh, then I'm very fearful. Uh, And I think a lot of people do not understand. They think that a a vote-by-mail with a hand-marked paper ballot means there's nothing to worry about. Those uh, ballots are, in fact, tabulated by computers. Russell, before I let you go here, the you have been now working on this particular beat for at least as long as I have, I think, now, uh, at least 16 years since uh, the uh, last film. Have you seen anything over these years uh, that suggests that our elections are any more secure now than they were, let's say, a decade or so ago? There's one really good bit of news, and that is that since we made Hacking Democracy and started investigating in 2003, it was originally, Mm -hmm. you have more paper. Then you had touchscreens, which were totally unverifiable, and you've still got them. But there is more paper, and with mail-in votes, there will be even more paper. So you've got, across the, the country in many states, the paper that can be audited. And when, you know, if you think of, put yourself in the, 
in a state's position or the Department of Homeland Security, if you know there is a cyberzeist out there who says, hmm, I got in and that's very interesting, I could change things, but you've also got your technicians saying, we get cyber attacks sometimes by the hour, then why wouldn't you audit the paper? So you have a completely non-electronic, non-cyber way of checking your elections. And our message to America is, please do it. Yes, please. Yes, please do it, America. And of course, uh, we have uh, fewer touchscreens and more uh, paper, but we're now beginning to see the touchscreens all over again in these ballot marking devices that though they have paper, it's paper that is printed by computer which can never be verified as reflecting the intent of any voter. So, uh, I don't know, one step forward, two steps back, or vice versa. Uh, Russ Michaels and Simon Artizoni, really appreciate y'all staying up late for us today out there in the UK. They are the filmmakers, along with Sarah Teal, of Kill Chain, the cyber war on America's elections now on HBO and available even if you don't have HBO on HBO's YouTube channel for free, I think, through May 25th. Congratulations, gentlemen, on the new film. And uh, we will talk to you again in another, uh, what, 10 or 15 years about the <laughs> chapter three? <laughs> I hope it won't be about the same subject. Uh, I think it will be. All right, guys, uh, stay safe Thank out you. there. Always great speaking with you and good luck with the new film. Thank you so much. All right, a quick break, and we are back with our closing few minutes here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Uh, Desi Doyen, I didn't even get to say hello to you at the top of the show. <laughs> I know. It's just too much to talk about. We had about. London calling after all. Yes, so. we did. Yes, we did. Uh, how did you enjoy Kill Chain, by the way? I was actually, I was really impressed by it. It is a fantastically made film. The production values are astounding. And of course, the subject matter is both stunning and infuriating. Absolutely <laughs> infuriating. It, it's it's kind of like seeing the broadcast played out before your very eyes, including every guest we've ever had on the show. I, is, I know. The stars in the movie. I know it's beautifully put together, though, and and I think it's something that that of course every American should see and should share with every single other person that they know on the planet. Funny how it takes uh, two British guys to do a film about a Finnish guy about American elections. <laughs> True. Uh, we have been uh, reporting on the madness of Wisconsin's upcoming primary election on Tuesday in the middle of a pandemic and a statewide stay-at-home order at the same time. Incredibly, voters will be allowed to go to the polls and stand in line, even though... Uh, more than 100 Wisconsin communities said they do not have enough poll workers to open even one polling place. 
just a day or two ago, and the election is on Tuesday. Well, a federal judge on Thursday extended the deadlines for getting vote-by-mail ballots back to cities and county officials until um, the Friday after the Tuesday election. That is good because many voters may not even receive their ballot until after Election Day because election officials are so overwhelmed with absentee ballot requests. I am furious, frankly, that the election is being held at all instead of postponed, given that people are likely to die because of it. And um, for those who think that going to vote by mail for everyone will be easy and pain free and that's the solution. Well, I think Wisconsin is proving that it is not, at least not without a lot of planning. And all 50 states around the country better start planning now. Um much less those uh, 20 or so states that are still supposed to hold primaries uh, in May and June. Putty Tat, our friend over at Daily Coast, uh, comments to say for the first time in 50 years, she's in uh, Wisconsin, I got an absentee ballot. It took three hours and four tries to upload a copy of my ID to get it. And I'm still waiting for someone willing to break self-isolation to be my witness without my signature and the signature and address of the witness, that ballot gets filed in the garbage can on receipt. Well, good news for Putty Tat. Uh, one, you uh, no longer need a witness to sign your absentee ballot if you write on there that you are unable to get one due to the uh, stay at home orders. Uh, that comes from the federal judge. Uh, as to uploading the photo ID, I'm not sure if that has gotten corrected at all, but that's just one of the mountains that Republican officials in the state of Wisconsin make. Even absentee ballot voters have to overcome in order to even get their absentee ballots. So uh, that is just an absolute mess. I got to wish the best of luck to everyone in Wisconsin. We'll be keeping our eyes on that in the days ahead. I'm still having trouble believing that that election is not going to be postponed altogether. Uh, so stay safe up there in Wisconsin and please stay safe everywhere right now across the country and across the world. My thanks today to our producer, Desi Doyen, and to my guests, Simon Ardizzoni and Russell Michaels, directors of HBO's new documentary, Kill Chain. I hope you'll watch it uh, and let us know what you think about it. Drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. You can also find, follow, and share everything that we do on the Twitters and the Facebooks, where you will find me, every day at the Brad blog. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. Share it with your friends. Let them know all about it. If you don't mind, we survive through uh, your word of mouth and through your generous donations at bradblog.com slash donate, which is why I can say all the stuff that I want to say, because ain't nobody going to tell me different <laughs> except for Desi. <laughs> Sometimes. And a few listeners. All right, that's it. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs>